If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we are going to be in verses 2 through 5. Um, this is not, we're going to be here uh, for a couple weeks. This, I have not looked forward to this, um, but I knew I had to get here eventually, so here we are. Uh, 2 through 5. The, the title of our lesson this morning is The Head Covering. The Head Covering. And I. Again, I wanted to get through it in one and move on, but I, I couldn't. So we're going to have to be here for, for a couple of weeks. All right, let's, let's read verses 2 through 5. Paul says, uh, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and you maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And then he goes on to say, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered, dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. All right. We've all seen this scripture for years and years, right? Probably 99% of us got no idea what this, what this even, even means. Um, so I wasn't real, uh, real, real keen on getting into it. So I tried to delay it as long as I could, but, uh, but, but here we are. So I want to say up front that culture differences between then and now make this a very, very difficult scripture for us to, to, to figure out what it means. Now, now, that's pretty common, right? We all know that when you read a, a letter or you read a book or whatever that was written even 50 years ago, cultures changed, hadn't it? Well, how much more something that was written 2,000 years ago? So we're, we're used to that. We understand when we go back and read the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, there's going to be culture differences, right? And, and we have to overcome that. Uh, and, and, but in this passage, and in, in specifically verses um, 2 through 16, we're only going to cover... Two through five today, we'll cover the rest next week. But it's especially difficult, and, and there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, I want you to think about this. If, if we wrote something down today that had cultural aspects to it, and 2,000 years go by, people in 2,000 years would be able to look at our television shows, our movies, our books, our social media. They'd have all kind of things to look at to figure out why we did what we did, Right? But now, when we look back then, we don't have a whole lot of information. There's no social media, there's no TV shows, there's no uh, real books or anything. There's just not a lot of information that we can go back and say, why did they do what they did? Specifically in manners of dress. It's really hard to go back and think, well, when they talk about dress or something like that, how, why did they do that? What did it mean to them? It, that, those things are very, very hard to, to, to ascertain. Secondly, another thing that makes this difficult is it's very hard to find an analogy because what we're always looking for is the principle, right? God is, a, uh, uh, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Culture changes, but he doesn't change. So what we're always looking for is the principle. But it's really hard to find something nowadays that is analogous or the same as back then so we can find the, the principle. So with that said, we have to deal with this scripture very, very carefully. Okay, And that's why I'm going to take a, a couple weeks to, to do it. So I want to start with just a, a, some quick thoughts on, 
on roles, and specifically what the Bible teaches about the roles of, of men and women. Now this, the roles of men and women have always been an issue, okay? That, that hasn't changed. We, we, in fact, you'll see this here in just, in just a little bit. But it's really under attack today w- with the homosexual movement, with the transgender movement. This whole idea of roles has begun, become just a battleground in our culture and, and in our society. Would, would, we, would we all agree with that? It's clear, though, as you study the Bible, that God has a divine order. God has a design. God has a plan for society when it comes to men and women. And we see this in, church, in scriptures that deal with marriage. We see it in scriptures that deal with the church. And we see it in scriptures that deal with, with everyday life. God has ordained at the very foundation, a basic pattern for our society and for culture. And that is the pattern of authority and submission. Now, we see this all the time in everyday life, and and we don't even think about it. For example, if you work on a construction crew, everybody doesn't just show up on the job site and start doing what they want to do, do they? Somebody has to do what? Somebody's got to be the boss. Somebody's got to give orders. Somebody's got to set things up and schedule them so they're done in the right order. So there's somebody on that construction crew who's in a position of authority, and the other people on that construction crew say, okay, you tell us what to do and we'll go do it. You see it on a football team. When you get in a huddle, there's 11 guys. Not all of them call the plays. Only one can call the play. They don't get in there and argue. One, one guy has authority. The rest cede to that authority. In a company, you have a company, somebody has to set the direction for that company or that business. You see this every single day. You deal with it every day. If you work a job, you're either in authority or under authority. That, that's just all throughout our society. So in any company or crew or team or organization, anything really that's made up more than one person, there has to be someone in authority and there has to be those who submit to that authority. Now, if these things weren't true, we'd have chaos, wouldn't we? We'd have pandemonium. We wouldn't get anything done. So in our society, there is a basic order of authority and submission. Now, God has also designed that men be given the position of authority and women the position of submitting to that authority. Now, don't don't blow up on me just yet, right? Okay. Like I said, I, I put this off as long as I could, but, but here we are. Now, it, I want you to listen to me very closely. It is generally true, and I put that word there, it's generally true that a man, whether he's married or single, should see himself as someone who God has given the responsibility for being in authority. A, a man should see himself that way. When I, I raised two boys, and I raised my boy, listen, I didn't raise them to be wusses. Who wants to raise a boy that's going to be a wuss? I raised my boys to be men of authority. I would always tell them, you're a leader. You be a leader. You don't follow. You lead. You're a man. I I put them in positions to learn how to do things, to be an authority. I want them to grow up to be a man because that's what God has designed for a man to be. It is also generally true that a woman, whether married or single, should recognize the fact that, that God has put her in a position or given her a responsibility of submission. That is part of God's design for what it means to be a woman. Now, don't go too far with that, okay? 
uh, or you'll get in trouble. God has not called every woman to submit to every man. God has not called every man to be an authority over every woman. That is not what the Scripture teaches at all. But the idea is that our spirits, as men and women, should recognize God's design. Are you with me? Okay, it has to be worked out. There's a lot of details in a marriage, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in other situations, but the fact is our spirits should recognize I'm a man or I'm a woman. God has designed a certain role for, for me. Now, I want to address something right here. What I've said so far is very, very clear in Scripture. You cannot argue with it in Scripture. The Bible teaches it over and over and over again. But because our society doesn't agree with that, they've, they've come up with ways to work around it. Okay? And, and one of the ways that they've tried to do that is by saying that Paul's teaching on men and women is just cultural. In other words, that's the way it was back in the Romans' times. The men were in charge. The women didn't have any power. So Paul, he grew up in that. That was just the way it was. So it, it's just cultural, but it's not that way anymore. So they basically ignore Paul's teaching on the roles of, of men and women. But is that true? Is it only cultural? Well, let me, let me show you something. Let's take one of, and we're not going to go into this one this morning, but this is one of the most controversial teachings that you'll find in the Bible on men and women. So I just picked this one out. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says this, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now what he's saying there in the Greek, I do not permit a woman to teach a man. I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, they look at that and say, well, that's the way it was back then. That's the way it was 2,000 years ago, but we live in a different culture, a different society. Things have changed. We, we'll just ignore that. But is that cultural? Well, I want you to look at the next verse that Paul writes. He says this, For Adam was formed first, and then the woman. You see, when, when, when Paul gives his reasoning for what he's saying, it's not about culture. He goes back to God's design, to the very first man and the very first woman. And, and so you can't say, well, it's only cultural. No, it's, it's because of creation. God has designed it that way, and He intended it that way from the very first man and the very first woman. At the same time, and I want to make this very clear, although the Bible makes a distinction between the roles of men and women, it's also very clear about something else. Look at Galatians 3.28. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's not talking about the physical there, is he? Because obviously there is Jew and Gentile. There is male and female. Of course there is. What he's talking about is spiritually. See, it, it, what he's saying is there is no distinction spiritually between a man and a woman. There's no distinction in their nature. There's no distinction in their, uh, in their intellect. There's no uh, distinction in their will or in their worth, their value. There's no distinction at all between those two. There, there's no distinction in the ability of a man and woman to interact and relate to God. None at all. That's incredibly important to understand, right? Now, I bring all this up because that's, this is exactly what verses 2 through 16 are all about. 
the context of today's entire passage is submission to our God-given roles. Okay, that, that's, that's what this is about. It's a, it's a very tricky passage. It's hard to interpret. But I can tell you, the, the, the actual idea behind it is extremely clear because, because Paul states it in verse 3. Look what he says again. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, I want to do this morning to give you a quick overview, and then we'll start diving into the, the details. What Paul has done is given us a hierarchy of authority and submission. He's saying, I want you to understand this is how God designed it. At the very top with authority is God the Father. Okay? And below Him is God, uh, uh, Christ the Son. Okay? The, the Son submits to the Father. The Father has authority over the Son. And underneath that is the husband and then to the wife. Now, again, let me back up to that scripture. Notice what he says. He doesn't say man and woman. He says what? Husband and wife. That's the whole point of this whole thing is the roles of a husband and wife, the, the roles of authority and submission. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. How is Christ submissive to the Father? Well, the, the Bible tells us that. Look at Philippians 2, 5 through 6, and, and listen very carefully to what Paul says. Paul says, who, talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Notice what he says. Christ the Son, God the Father, they are equal in nature. Everybody see that? They're, they're exactly the same. There's no difference between them. Rather, though, it says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even. You see, the, what the Bible says is that Christ chose to submit. Does everybody see that? He's exactly equal with the Father, but he chose to take on the role of submission. That was a choice that, that he made, something the Father asked him to do, and the Bible says that, that he did it. Now, what, what you have here that's new in the New Testament is not that the wife is to be subject to her husband. The, the, the Old Testament teaches that. What you, what's new here in the, in the New Testament is how we, we're shown that this whole concept of authority and submission is so pervasive throughout the, the universe. What's new is the, the vastness or the scope of this principle. Think of it this way. If Christ does not submit to the Father, then redemption is not accomplished. We have no hope. Mankind is doomed, and God would literally be at odds with himself if Christ doesn't submit. If man, on the other hand, doesn't submit to Christ, then man is lost. Our destiny is denied, and, 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 and we remain under the wrath of God. And if a woman does not submit to the man, the family is shattered and society is, is ruined. This is the way that God has designed it and set it up to, to work. It's, it's the God-ordained principle of authority and submission. And, and we need to remember, this is not based on tyranny. It's always based on love. If you go back and read the Scripture, it says the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. Christ loves the church, the church loves Christ, the husband loves the wife, the wife loves the husband. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a submission to our roles based on love. Not, not tyranny, not force, not power but it's based on love, and that's incredibly important to, to recognize. So, 
God's order is that the husband is the head of the wife as the father is the head of the son, but there is no inequality at all or inferiority implied. The Bible says when, when, when God looks at a man and a woman, a husband and wife, your worth is exactly the same. He sees you exactly the same in value and nature and ability and will. But what he's done, he's saying, I need one of you to be in authority and I'm asking one of you to submit. That, that, because that's the way when you do it, it will work. I've designed you to, to do that. So just as God and Christ are equal and united, the husband and wife are equal and united, but yet he's asked us to assume different roles. So today's passage is not teaching that the woman is inferior to man or that she should be submissive to every man. It's teaching God's order and spiritual headship in the marriage relationship. Okay, now, that was the easy part. Okay? Now, if we could just go home and not have to deal with the rest of it, life would be pretty easy, but we can't. Now's where it gets a little bit difficult. Now, in the rest of these verses, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, in the rest of these verses, in fact, all the way through verse 16, we need to find the context. That's what we always do, isn't it? When we read the Bible, we find context. The first one we need to find context is we need to understand the situation in Corinthian culture. What was going on back then with men and women that would make Paul write this? Number two, what was going on in the church? Something was going on. He felt like he said, hey, y'all are doing good, but I need you to understand something. And then number three, what's on Paul's mind? What's he, what's he thinking? And out of all of this, we need to extract the principle for today. What about you and I? How do we apply this to our life? So let's look first at the situation in Corinthian society, okay? Now, I want you to listen up because you will learn. I learned something I never knew, and, and, and this verse, these, this passage kind of opened up when I, when I learned some of this stuff. Um, so first, let's look at the situation in Corinthian society. Okay, we're, this is 2,000 years ago. In Paul's day, in the city of Corinth, a head covering was one of the symbols that was used to signify the subordinate relationship between uh, a wife and a husband, okay? Now, in the Greek-Roman world of Corinth, the symbol was most probably a veil. Now, we don't know this for sure, but more than likely, it was a veil uh, of some kind that a woman wore. And, and when she wore this veil, she was signifying her subordinate relationship to her husband. We still see customs practiced like this in the Mideast countries today. A married woman's veil, it symbolized something. It would symbolize that she's not exposing herself to other men. It's symbolizing that her beauty is being reserved for her husband alone. It's symbolizing that she's not interested in being noticed by other men. She, she's, she's not, that, that means nothing to her. She's already taken. So that veil or that head covering, whatever it was, it symbolized something. When people saw her, they said, oh, she's married. She, she's under the authority of her husband. That's more than likely what was going on. Again, something like that was being practiced in first century Corinth. Now, it, it may or may not have been a veil. We don't know. It could have been some kind of scarf that she wore over her head. Um, it, it may have been a local custom for that city. It more, might have been more widespread. We don't know. Okay? We just don't have enough uh, historical data to figure that out. 
But whatever this head covering was, whether it was a veil, whether it was some kind of scarf, what we do know, no matter how widespread it was or whether it was local, what we do know is in that city, it was practiced in that wearing a head covering was a way for a woman to demonstrate or symbolize submission to her husband. It was a symbol for the world to see. Okay? Now, in addition... We also know that in that day, it was customary for a woman to wear her hair long. All right? In fact, in that day, it would be considered shameful for a woman to cut her hair short. That was just something you did not do. Now, you can see why it's difficult to bring this forward, right? Because women today cut their hair short, and nobody thinks anything about it, right? So all you women out there with short hair, you're thinking, oh my God, I should have just let it grow before we got to this lesson, right? No, don't worry about that. I'm not going to get on you. But it's funny that how, notice how culture changes, right? So we've changed where in some ways women can cut their hair short. Nobody thinks anything about it. Women wear pants. Nobody thinks anything about it. But have you noticed how things on the other side haven't changed so much? For example, women can wear pants. Do men wear dresses? Now, unless you're in Scotland, right? It's just something men don't do. It, it would be considered shameful for a man to come up here in a dress. Women paint their fingernails and toenails. Men don't do that, right? If somebody did that, you'd think, man, <laughs> something ain't right right here, right? See, I mean, there's always cultural things that you don't do. In that day, a woman did not cut her hair. That, that just was not done. Now, keep in mind... You would see men, when I say long hair, I mean long hair. You would see men in that day maybe with hair to their shoulders. That wasn't considered long. We're talking about women would have hair down to their waist. So, so even though you always had, even though men in cultures would change where men would wear their hair a little bit longer, women's hair was always different. There was always a, a cultural distinction between the length of a man and a woman's, a woman's hair. So in that day, you had women wearing head coverings to symbolize their submission to their husband. You had women who would not cut their hair. Just, you, that just was not done. A woman had long hair. That was a, a sign of her femininity. That was just what they, what they did. Now listen to me. Around that same time, in fact, uh, probably a couple hundred years earlier than this, a, a women's liberation movement began to grow in the Roman Empire. A feminist movement began to grow in the Roman Empire. And women began to protest against the inequality of men and women. And by the way, if you go back and read any history, you can't blame them. Women were treated terrible in that time. They had no power. They could just be discarded by men any time they wanted to. Men had multiple mistresses. Um, we, we've talked about this before. There's, uh, there's examples back in the Roman times of, of one guy was uh, married 27 times. Very divorced, 27 times. It was just, it, it, I mean, women were just discarded for no reason. So you can understand why they began to protest against this. And so they did. And so this feminist movement began to arise. And much as in our own day, some women began to demand to be treated exactly like men. They began to rebel against marriage. They began to rebel against child-rearing. There was a, a thing that, that grew up where in that day where women wouldn't even breastfeed anymore. They didn't want to be held back. They would hire wet nurses to do the breastfeeding. And they wanted to be back out in the world. 
And so they, they, they weren't even taking care of their own children. They began to participate in jobs, in sports, like wrestling. They, they, they started having women's wrestling back then. And this is 2,000 years ago in the, in the Roman day. And, and you can still find where some of the men would write and how, how ridiculous that was, they would, they would say. And so you, you began to have these women begin to participate in things just like men. And as part of this movement, some women in society wanted to symbolize their break from tradition. They wanted to symbolize that. So what do you think they did to symbolize? They wanted everybody to see, I'm not, I'm not like these women of old, I'm a, I'm a new woman. So what do you think they did? They cut their hair and they threw off their head coverings. That's what they did. You see, they wanted to symbolize this rebellion. They wanted to symbolize this break from submission. So that's exactly what they did. They said they would start to cut their hair. I mean, that just wasn't done. So when a woman walked in that had her hair short, you knew immediately knew, knew she, she, she was making a statement. She was making a symbol. The head covering, they took them off. Is everybody with me? So, so this, you know, it, it, it meant something. So, by the way, what you see in our society today is nothing new. You know, I tell you, the more you study history, the more you study the Bible, what you find out is human nature is human nature. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything just kind of recycles itself, goes back around. You see, so in Corinth, the church is right in the middle of a society that's struggling with the same issues regarding the roles of men and women that our society is struggling with today. They're, the church is right in the middle of all this is going on. Okay, So this is what's happening there. Now, what's happening in the church? Well, it is very likely, and again, we're, we're kind of doing a little bit of guessing here, but it's very likely that some of the women believers at Corinth had been influenced by this feminist movement and possibly as a sign of, of protest or a sign of independence, they also were removing their head coverings and, and, and basically doing it in church. When they came together to fellowship and to pray and to preach, they were removing their, their head coverings, not only out in the world, but they were doing it inside the, uh, the church service. Or it could be that what was happening is maybe some sort of abuse of Christian liberty, like some women feeling that, that they were free in Christ, they didn't need that anymore. So they were, they were, taking, it, they were taking it off. Okay? Regardless of the reason, we know from Paul's letter that they were removing their head covering during the worship service. And this is what you have to see. What they were doing was they were removing a symbol of submission. Does everybody see that? That's what they were moving. They, it's a symbol of submission. And they're saying, I don't need that anymore, and they threw it off. That's what they were doing. That's what's going on. Now, what's Paul thinking? What, what's on his mind as he's writing all of this stuff? Well, remember, we already know what the passage is all about. Paul's already told us. The, the passage is all about fulfilling our God-given roles, specifically in the area of marriage. Okay, He's already told us that in verse 3. That's what the whole thing is all about. So Paul is going to add something to that. So listen to what he says. Let's read verse 4 and 5 again. Knowing now what we know. He says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. 
But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So now we kind of get an idea, oh, we, we, the women are throwing off the, the, the symbols of submission. Okay? And notice what Paul says about the man. The man, the man. He says a man shouldn't pray with his head covered because what? Again, it's a symbol of submission, right? The man's supposed to be an authority. Why would you... It'd be like, and we'll see this in a minute, it would be literally like a man coming up here to pray in a dress. Right? I mean, it's a symbol of femininity. It's a symbol of the woman. And Paul says, that would be, that would be crazy. We'll see that here in just a little bit. Now, this is the very first question most people read this that they want to ask. Does this mean that women today should cover their heads in church? When most people read this passage, they think, oh my gosh, are we not doing what we should be doing? Should women be covering their, their heads in, in Do you all see why this isn't easy? This is not an easy passage to, 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 to go through here. And this is always the first thing that comes up. I was out on the internet doing some research on this and seeing what different people have to say about it and how they interpret it. I found this. This was on ChristianityToday.com. It was a lady who wrote in the comment section, and she said this, I tried for years to ignore what these passages said because I didn't want to be different. I finally just had to face it and do what I felt was right regardless of what others thought. My daughter-in-law had already been covering her head when she prayed and in the worship for a while. Most people just accepted it and in a short period of time after I started wearing a head covering. So here's a lady who wants to do what the Bible says. And when she read this passage, she thinks, man, i got to cover my head. And she struggled with it because no, the other women weren't doing it. But after a while, she thought, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And so she starts coming to church with, her, with a head covering. Okay, it doesn't say what she wore, but her head was covered. And she said, you know, people, is that what the Bible's teaching us? Is it saying that women have to have their head covered? Just to give you an interesting comparison. Now, this is interesting. Did you know that Orthodox Jews believe the very opposite? In fact, what you'll do in the Orthodox, in the Jews, you ever see a Jew wearing a, the yarmulke, the little thing on top of their head? That's because the, the man in the Jewish, they, the rabbis say the man has to have his head covered. And it's a shame if he... So culturally, for them, it's the man. And they get that from somewhere back when Moses went... I don't know where they get that from. It's not in the Bible, by the way. It's just a teaching that they, that they came up with. So it's the men in the Jewish religion that covers their head, not the, the woman. Again, the Jews felt that a man had to have their head covered. They would never pray with their head uncovered because that was their custom. But in the New Testament, Paul never addresses that. He never says anything about that to, to them. Okay? Again, he's dealing with a specific situation that's going on at, at Corinth. So he never says anything to the Jews about having their head covered or uncovered. In fact... Paul as a Jew was really teaching something here that would have been antagonistic to the Jewish custom of rabbinical teaching. And again, what we're seeing here is this is, I, want you, I bring that up because I want you to see this isn't a universal principle. Paul is not laying down an absolute rule that all, that's to be observed by all Christians for all time that women are to have their head covered. This is a specific issue that's going on at that time that he's dealing with, okay? Again, we, we've been, back since chapter 8, we've been studying this. You've got to understand, just as meat that has been offered to idols is nothing, 
Paul says. There's nothing in the wearing of a head covering or the not wearing of a head covering that's right or wrong. We, we've got to understand that. that. You don't make yourself more loved by God because you cover your head, because you wear a hat or a scarf or a veil or whatever the case may be. You see, the head covering itself is not the point. That's not the point in this passage. It's the rebellion against God-ordained roles that Paul is dealing with. See, they're throwing off a symbol, but what he's worried about is what's in their heart. Does everybody see that? that, that a symbol's a symbol. Wearing a hat or not wearing a hat, that's nothing. What matters is the symbol. What matters is what's in your heart. And you see, in Corinth, the rebellion that was in their heart was demonstrated by women praying and prophesying with their head uncovered. That's what, that's what Paul's dealing with here. The, the, it just happened to be a cult. The, the symbol at that time just happened to be a head covering. But it could have been something else. You see, what you and I have to understand is that dress is, is largely cultural. Unless a, a person wears something that's very immodest, or sexually suggestive, it really, what you wear has no moral or spiritual significance whatsoever. In fact, do you understand back then that the men and the women, they all wore the same thing? Do you, do you understand that, right? There wasn't pants and dresses in the Roman times. They all wore robes, so they all wore dresses for the most part. Everybody wore the same. What distinguished a man from a woman in that day wasn't what they wore, it was the head covering and the long hair. The, if what they wore was pretty much all the same. They just all wore these tunics and robes. What distinguished them was the head covering and the long hair. That separated the men from the, from the women. You see, in every society and culture, there's always been clear distinctions of dress between men and women. And, and again, sometimes it's pants and dresses. Sometimes it's something else. But in every culture, there's always things that distinguish between men and women. Like we said today, men don't wear dresses. Men don't paint their fingernails and toenails. There's just certain things that are culturally you just don't do. There's always been distinctions, and there always will be. Here's Paul's point. Listen to me carefully. Whenever and wherever it is appropriate for men and women to pray or prophesy they should always do so with proper distinction between male and female. Let me say that again. Whenever or wherever it is proper for men and women to, to pray or prophesy, he's saying when you do it, make sure you do it and you keep your roles distinguished. You do, if you're going to pray and prophesy, you do it as a man. If you're going to pray and prophesy, you do it as a woman. Every man should speak to the Lord. By the way, that's praying, is it? When you talk to the Lord, or, or for the Lord, that's prophesying. When you, when you speak to people about God, that's prophesying. The Bible says if you're a man, then you do that clearly as a man. And every woman should speak to or for the Lord clearly as a woman. God does not want distinctions to be blurred. Does not. Listen, it all starts in the marriage relationship with authority and submission. And I'm going to tell you what, it has rapidly got out of that between now we're marrying men and men and women and women, and now it's gotten out of that to transgenderism. Do you not understand why God says this is so important? Because Satan wants to obliterate the roles of men and women. 
Because that is God's design. He knows society is set up to run based on God's design. He has built men to be in authority. He's built women to be submissive to that husband's authority. He's made that so the children can be raised in that environment. This is what makes everything work. And Satan is working as hard as he can to obliterate that. Obliterated in marriage, obliterated in society. He wants people to just do whatever you want to do. Doesn't matter. Forget God's roles. Forget God's design. Forget what God has ordained. And see, that's what Paul is talking. See, Paul sees the danger. In fact, this is what Paul's saying. Especially, especially in the church. You see that? I mean, where else should we, should we be putting on display God's design if not in the church when you come to pray and prophesy? especially when you do that, then you better do it as a man and a woman. Do it within whatever your society, whatever the symbols of your society say. Paul says live within those. See, we'll talk about this next week. Symbols matter. Symbols matter. And it's not easy to figure out necessarily, because like I said, today, women cutting their hair, it's not a symbol anymore. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Women uh, wearing head coverings, that's not an issue anymore. That culture doesn't see anything from that. That's not our symbols. What are the symbols today? I don't know. I can't necessarily tell you. See, that's the hard part here sometimes, is figuring out what these, symbols, what these symbols are. But you can see what Paul is saying. Whatever your culture decides, you stay in, the, you stay in that environment. Does that, does that make sense? Show them what a woman is supposed to be and, and, and put on display for them what a man is supposed to be, both in the way you speak and in the way you dress and the way you carry yourself. You see, it is the, it's the whole principle of the men and women's roles that Paul is teaching. That's what's important here. He's not laying down a universal principle that women should worship with their, with their head covers. I can tell you, a woman can come in with her head covered and in her heart be as rebellious as she can be. That's, that's not what Paul's talking about here at all. But he is talking about submitting to your role and then putting that submission on display, especially in the church. Don't throw that off. Those things mean something so that people can see. Now, I want to go back to this one. Again, notice this here. Verse 4, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers. See, again, what he's saying is, as a man, if you come in with your head covered... You're putting on a role of submission. That's not your role. Does everybody see that? Don't do that. Be in the church as a man of authority. That's your role. Let everybody see that. So that it's just as bad for a man to cover his head in this, in this particular situation as it was because he's, he's basically throwing off his role. He's saying, I, I don't, you know, my role doesn't mean anything. Again, what he's doing here is he's literally in that day, if a man covered his head, he was literally assuming a role of femininity. He was assuming the role of a, of a woman. Again, it's kind of like a modern man getting up and preaching with a dress on. Paul would say, do not do that. Don't do that. Whatever your culture says... By the way, can I go to Scotland and preach in a kilt? Absolutely. Because in that culture, that's not a sign of a woman. Not a sign of femininity. But to do it here, Paul says, don't do that. When you get up and pray and you get up and prophesy, you do it in the role of a man. You, you, you symbolize the role of a man. He's supposed to be a man in authority, but again, he would be assuming the role of a woman. Paul says that's shameful. 
Now look at verse 5. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Why? What does that mean? Well, in that day, see, what again, what he's saying is if a woman does that, she's rebelled against her role. She's rebelled against her role in, in a woman. And that is especially shameful to do in church because this is the one place where above all other places we should walk in our roles. And Paul says if you're going to do that, if you're going to throw off the symbols of femininity, if you're going to sh- throw off the symbols of, of submission, then Paul says just go ahead and shave your head. Now why would he say that? Well, the reason he would because in that day only prostitutes shaved their head. Only disgraced women shaved their head. That was a, that was a, if a woman shaved her head, that was a symbol of just, that was terrible. But Paul says, if you're going to take off the role, if you're going to rebel against your role as a woman, go ahead and shave your head. Just go, go the whole way. That's how shameful it is. That's what he's saying. If a woman took off her head covering, she might as well make the symbol of her role rejection complete. Just, just shave your head. Just put it on display for everybody to see how disgraced you are. Now, not easy, right? I worked on that thing for like three weeks. And I thought I'll get it done one quick lesson and get, move out of here and get on to something else, but I couldn't do it because there is a lot Paul has to say in verses 6 through 16. He's going to talk about a woman's hair and, 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 and some things about that that I learned that are very, very um, interesting. Um, anyway, but I couldn't get it all covered today. So if you come back next week, we will... Uh, be on here for one more week um, on the head covering. Let's pray. Father.